Hey friends, it's Kelly. I hope you are so excited today to join us on the book club that I did with Lori Mintz. Dr. Lori Mintz is a professor in Florida and she teaches human sexuality and she's written two books and we're talking today about the book Becoming Cliterate, which is amazing. Links are in the show notes and I want to encourage you guys to find her other book too, which she wrote originally in 2009, A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex, Reclaim Your Desire and Reignite Your Relationship. The link for that's also in the show notes. So I hope you guys enjoy. If you want to be involved in my live podcast recordings that I do about once a month, you have to get on my email list. KellyCaspersonMD.com is the only way to do it. And I hope to see you there. The next one is going to be October. Let's see. Oh, it's going to be this week. So you'll probably miss that one by the time this comes out because this is coming out Wednesday. I love you guys so much. Enjoy this amazing book club discussion that I have with a group of women physicians and Dr. Lori Mintz. Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kasperson. So the first thing I wanted you to talk about is just where did the book come from? How, how, did, you get, how did you give birth to this, the, the book, Becoming <laughs> So, you know, honestly, there's like the backstory is I have a first book. A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex. And I loved writing that. And there was like one like little paragraph in that book that I loved writing more than anything, which is like such a little thing, right? But it was the paragraph about the clitoris. And, but then I never really thought about it. I just remember like that was, you know. And then when I, I was living in Missouri for 21 years, and anyway, long story short, I moved to Florida. And part of why I moved here um, was to be able to teach this huge undergrad psych of human sexuality class. Um, and it was, it was really my students that inspired me. Um, when I started teaching, I got to tell you, I was like floored, slack jawed at how little these students knew about female anatomy and female pleasure. And then when I would teach about the orgasm gap, I would get reactions like, you know, they had no idea. They, half of them had never heard of the clitoris. And I was like, how can this be? Like, obviously I'm, I'm probably older than both of you. I'm 61. And so I kind of grew up in that very small window where we all knew about it, you know? And I was shocked. And so many of my students felt they were broken because they weren't orgasming from penetration. And I wrote a blog and I called this generation the most misinformed generation about sex ever, ever, making the point like my mother even knew more, not because she had any sex ed, but she talked to her friends and they figured it out. And like these kids grew up not only without sex ed, but with false images that they have no way of correcting. So long story short, I started teaching to female pleasure, teaching to closing the orgasm gap. And I would get notes from my students, like thanks to your class, I'm orgasmic. Thanks to your class, I don't feel broken anymore. Thanks to your class, my girlfriend's orgasmic. And I thought, I can't believe in, this is happening in this era of the world but I've got to get this information back out there. It's been lost to this generation. So it was my students who really 
inspired me and really who continue to inspire me, uh, like and keep me kind of current in terms of what are the holes? What are these young people missing? And, and it wasn't just young people then. I'll, I'll stop in a minute. But when I tried to shop the book around, the reactions fell along two lines. One was people my age, like agents saying, are you kidding me, Lori? It's 20, you know, whatever, 2016, 2018, whatever the time frame was. Like, don't we all know this? What happened to our bodies ourselves? And then younger editors and agents who were like, this is radical. <laughs> it's like, so I really feel like, you know, in a way, it's just bringing knowledge back that was lost. Do you have any insight as to why the knowledge was lost? Like, is it the, is it the boomer generation not telling their kids or like is it more like a culture thing where everybody just assumes we know stuff now so nobody's talking about it do you have any like theories behind how it got lost well i think like there's this whole my history chapter is pretty short um but you know there's some other writings that really delve into the fact that it's lost the clitoris has been lost and found lost and found in culture and medicine in psychology over and over but I really think it was lost with porn. Now, and I'm not anti-porn. I even have some of my clients watch porn, like to help with arousal and all that, if, as long as it's not degrading and they're comfortable with it. Um, but if you analyze porn, and there have been studies analyzing it, like women are not shown orgasming at the same rates. And if they are shown orgasming, it's always with very little preparation and the penis goes into the vagina and she's like going bananas. And this, it's also like that in mainstream movies. Mm -hmm. So I think these people, young people have been more exposed to false images with nothing to correct them. That's right. my theory. Yeah. Um, that makes sense to me. How many how many years have you been teaching this the human sexuality class? And are you noticing it's getting any better, or is it kind of just plat? It is what it is. With it is getting better. I've been teaching better. this class for ten years, um, and I do feel like that lecture is less radical. Like people are like, yeah, we get it. Um, other things have become more radical, but that lecture is like there's more understanding. I think, although interestingly, I, I realize that whenever I talk, I'm often preaching to the choir, right? I'm talking to people who already have some inkling and want to spread the word, like all of you, but, right? But the other day I had the most, I didn't want to do it. I was in such a bad mood, pardon me, but I had what I feel like was a life altering, career altering moment. I was asked to speak to a fraternity. And I was so not into it, A, because it was late at night and I go to bed early and I just COVID and blah, blah, blah. And I like to be home in my pajamas by that time. So I went and there was a hundred fraternity brothers there and they had not a clue. They had not a clue. And it, I walked away saying, I've got to stop preaching to the choir. I want to get on the fraternity speaking circuit and i'm going to throw in a little about consent while we're at it you know by the way i've got oh my cool, god that's amazing my cool mug says close the orgasm gap <laughs> it's a little hand on a grapefruit i guess that's so great 
Dude, I wish I could have been there. What was there? Were they like just like jaw open, like just soaking yeah. it in? Yeah, and they were like, and it, I asked them in the beginning, like, how often do you think about sex? Ah! You know, do you like sex? Ah! I'm like, when you have sex with someone, girlfriend or hookup, how many of you care only about your pleasure? Two people's hands went up. I couldn't believe they'd admit it. I said, how many of you care only about her pleasure? Two hands went up. I said, how many of you want both of you to have a good time? All of them, you know, they're either 96 or so. And then I said, and how many of you think that that good time is contingent on you thrusting long, lasting long and thrusting hard? Almost every hand went up. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. There's a, there's a urologist who does a lot of YouTube stuff. I'm just thinking of her because she has very male, it's a very big male viewership. And I'm like, I need to hook you two up to get you on YouTube with her. Because I just did one on what men should know about female sex. And it has like 600,000 views already. We just did it a couple months ago. But oh I'm, my like, gosh. I'm like, that's going to help you and your fraternity, your next please, whatever. Please, please send me that. Yeah. I would love I'll, that I'll make, connection. I'll make a note of it. Because she's, she's heard her avenue is YouTube because there's a lot of dudes on YouTube. There must be something about like getting out of your comfort zone that like stimulates the inspiration or something, right? Yeah, Cause I, it really like, was. Wow. And the funniest thing is like I put a little story on Instagram and my current students, most of them follow me on Instagram. So this was a Monday night and in class on Tuesday, they were all like, which fraternity, which fraternity? <laughs> We want to give you the scoop on them. And I was joking with my students about, I should have let you know, I should have run a pre-post randomized clinical trial. Had you hook up with this, these men before the talk and after the talk. <laughs> That's awesome. So like at the end of that talk, were they like, we're, we're all in? Like, yeah, they wanted to run out and buy vibrators for their hookups. They're like, where can we buy them? And I was like, I'll tell you, but you got to promise to clean them in between, you know. <laughs> Dude, what a, like a short intervention to like change the trajectory of their lives. Yeah. And, you know, and I was talking to my daughter about it. They're, they're older. They're, you know, I said one's a physician, one owns her own business. So they're grown ups. they're married or engaged. Like they're in their own world, but they still remember college better than I do. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh my gosh, like if you could talk to fraternities, you could change college life. And don't forget to throw in consent in there while you're yeah. at it. Yeah. You know? Oh my gosh, that's huge. That's so exciting. Yeah. So that was fun. Inspiration from the, you know, the most unlikely places. Exactly. Exactly. So can you take us back to like, who were the, if you know, I don't know if you know, who were the, like the original researchers who were like, we need to research the orgasm pleasure gap and like publish this. Like, cause yeah, I don't think I, that'd be some really brave people to be like, do you know, it's not all good. Yeah. So there's a couple and I like wrote an academic article. I can send it to you. It's a little boring, but you know, um, not written in the same tone as becoming clitorate, um, yeah. reviewing all that. So I actually have the answer. It was, um, a researcher named Wade and she's the one that surveyed like, I don't even remember, like tons of college students, like thousands upon thousands. And she's the one that had the stat 39% versus 91%. And she coined that term. 
I think that was in 2005. And then Debbie Herbenak, who's at Kinsey and Indiana University, did a huge nationally representative study. And she found her study really found that women are saying men are overestimating women's orgasms, right? Like, you know, and she used the term there. And that's when it really got picked up in the academic community because she's a pretty prolific researcher and her stuff is like very good and always out there. So amazing. It's, it's not that long ago. No, it's not that but, long ago. But most people still don't know about the orgasm gap. Like I say it and people think I like just cr like created this clever thing. And I'm like, no, 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 this is like legit research. Yeah. And, and then there's, then people have done so much different research, even since I published Becoming Clitorate. Like there was this one study that just blows my mind. Um, and first of all, there's studies of like, you know, heterosexual, lesbian, gay identified and, mm -hmm. Clearly, we know there's like heterosexual women are in the worst place, if you will. Um, but then there was this one study that was like, it was a big study, but they then about orgasming during first time hookup sex, but they took a little subset and there were, I mean, it's small, but still there were 14 bisexual identified women who hooked up with women and men. And they asked, how often do you orgasm during first time hookup sex? So this is like the same person. And they said they orgasm like, I think it was like 80 some percent when they hook up with women and 7% when they hook up with men. That's like, like this, a, a, a nice natural study, right? Like, right. And these are people a great, who, a good person to ask. Right. So it says it's not our bodies. It's not... It is something in the institution of how we do heterosexual sex. And to me, that study just speaks volumes to that. Yeah, that's huge. And, and super awesome that they, they did that. That's super cool. Um, I was perusing through your book. Can you give us your opinion? Because in the like, you know, sex education world, there's like two camps. There's the like, there's 37 different types of orgasm camp. And then there's like the like, the clitoris is is the organ of orgasm. Everything's related to the clitoris dr driving all of that. And can you like give us at least your opinion or the science on like yeah. settle, settling that debate? Yeah. So, and I think you all is, you know, especially maybe, you know, urologists and gynecologists, I'd love to hear what you all think about that. But here's the answer that I can say is, first of all, we don't know. Like we know that the clitoris is goes to the brain through a one nerve pathway, the vagina goes through another. And we know that women say they feel different. So that camp is like there's different kinds of orgasms and women can think themselves or breast or whatever. There's another camp that says no matter where the stimulation occurs, all orgasms are the same. They all involve the clitoris the erectile tissue in the clitoris. You know, I mean, just like male orgasm, it fills with blood, the pelvic floor contracts and releases it. And those people say all orgasms are clitoral, all are the same. Then Helen O'Connell, who was the one who mapped the clitoris, you know, in, in, um, basically says, let's just call everything down there a clitoris. Like that's our biggest organ. 
and let's stop breaking it. It's one organ. Let's just not make these distinctions. And then some feminist analysis, including my own, says, isn't this interesting? We label women's orgasms by the point of stimulation. And then we use that to declare one is better than the other. We don't do that. We don't call, we don't say, did you have a prostate or a penis orgasm? Did you have a blowjob orgasm or an intercourse orgasm? We don't label men's orgasms by the type of stimulation. So to me, it's like, why are we even doing this? Except, you know, it create. I think all the attention to the question is, I think it's good science and I think it's necessary science and medicine even for someone with a spinal cord injury, knowing they can maybe transfer, you know, get, you know, if, if their clitoris nerves cut, maybe they can, you know, get more in that we found that, right? They can learn to use the pathway from their vagina. But unless you're helping people with a spinal cord injury or, you know, just interested in the question. I think the media hype around this only serves to have women feel really insecure about how they orgasm. Yeah. So that's my long-winded response. I'm, oh, I'm super perfect. curious what you all as physicians think or say. Well, I, I, uh, well, I did like a sec, but pre-COVID when we all met in person, I did like a sex ed talk with a, a sex, th sex therapist, sex educator. And she's like, at the end of this talk, you're going to know that you can have an orgasm 17 different ways. And I was like, no, these women can't have an orgasm one way. Like we're just shaming them into like, now they're deficient 17 different ways. Right. So I'm like, it's, it's how it's used against you more than like how it can help you. Like it's wonderful you can have it 17 different ways or like now I now I can't have it 17 different ways so yeah you know and it's funny because I just was interviewed with a by a reporter yesterday who said like tell me about all the different types of orgasms and which is hardest and which is easiest and I made these same points but I also made the point like some of these orgasms are biologically impossible for some people like so why are we telling people if you, it's like this message, if you just do it right, you know, I mean, there's no way I'm going to have an orgasm, frankly, by someone touching my breast. But now if I read these articles, I might think I'm supposed to, you know. I think the same is done with squirting a lot. That's why squ squirting annoys me so much because it's like, it's performance based. It's a skill to be obtained. It's a party trick. And it's like, if it, if you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. It's cool. Exactly. And now again, it's like, and you know how it's squirting is filmed in most porn. They they take uh, like a douche, whatever, right, or you know, water, whatever, and they fill the vagina, and they are like, hold, 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 and then they run and film. It's not even coming out of the right hole. Actual squirting, as you know, comes out of the urethra. Mm -hmm. Like. Yeah. And people want to try to do it. And it's like, some of our bodies do it, some don't. Like, it's, yeah, exactly. We're 100% on the same page here. Yeah, you and me, we're... <laughs> <laughs> we think similarly, for sure. It. Why do you think, and I think this goes more into like culture and women and how we're conditioned. Why do you think it's so freaking hard for women to communicate to their male partner about sex? 
Well, I think because we're never taught about like communication skills. I mean, I think it's hard for people to communicate with anyone about anything. We're like, we are so socialized to care, monitor people's feelings and say, we're sorry if we hurt them and all of that. So first of all, we're not used to saying, what do I want and putting it out there. And, and this is, we're not immune, like all the women on this call are pretty educated, right? Pretty powerful at some level in their job. And I'm guessing all of us do this kind of thing too in our personal lives. So that's one thing. And then sex is like, you know, it's so shameful in our culture. We don't want to talk about it. We're so embarrassed, you know, we don't even tell our doctors or our therapists unless they ask us often. So I think it's just like it's people think you should. And then there's all these myths like either you're good at sex or you're bad at sex and you shouldn't have to talk about it. It's right. It's just I think the whole culture is just excuse my French, but screwed up when it comes to sexual communication. I really liked how you said in your book to communicate about communication like and as a tool of like continuing to get better. So like, how do you communicate about communication? You just ask, for, ask for feedback? No, so it's like called meta communication. Yeah. And it's like, like it can be an introduction, like, hey, I need to talk to you about something about our sex life and I'm really nervous. I don't want you to get defensive, just hear me out. So you're like giving the ground rule or in the middle of a conversation, if the person is getting angry and defensive, you can, hey, I noticed you're getting really angry and I certainly didn't want the conversation to go that way. I'd like us to take a step back. So commenting, it's like an outside observer. Don't just dive in and don't just ignore what's happening. But yeah, I think it's that, it's one of those tools that I find really changes people's relationships with themselves and each other when they can do that. Plus, don't ask questions that are not questions. That's my other big one. Oh, my gosh. You know, we all do this, right? I say there's, in that book, I say there's three life-changing skills. Metacommunication, don't ask questions that aren't questions, and I statements. So, like, do you want to have sex? That's a great example. It's not a question. You're not really curious if the other person wants to. You either want to and hope they do, or you don't want to and hope they don't. Yeah. Or like, so we are so socialized to ask questions when we have a need. Yes. And instead of just saying our need right out loud, you know. I think it was so important that you put it in the book. And I don't know if I ever had that pointed out to me before that like, especially women, we tend to do that. Yeah. Yeah, we really do. I do it even. And I have to catch myself. And it really, the person either gives you the wrong answer or they take it as a criticism a lot of times. Like, yeah. you know, do you really, like even think of our kids, right? Do you really want to wear that out? That's not a question. It's like, you know, um, it's like, I don't think you should wear that out. It's not appropriate looking. Yeah, oh, I love it. Uh, yeah, there was a surgeon who, she's not here today, but she was re she's reading your book because the book club and we've been talking about it. And she said that, that don't ask a question that's not a question she's like if you read this book for nothing else if you learn that it'll change things for you yeah tell her thank you i appreciate that
Yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. So what would, from your perspective, you have all these college students who don't know anything. What advice or hope would you give to our, the group of female doctors here as far as like, what can we do when our patients come in? Like, what would you like to see in like a doctor patient relationship? Now, what a beautiful question, Kelly. Thank you for asking that. I mean, I think I would, once you all, which you obviously do, have the foundation in female pleasure, you know, to ask your patients just right outright, because the research shows if we don't ask, they won't bring it up. Are you having any sexual concerns that you want to talk to me about? And if they say yes, like non-judgmentally, listen, give them information, you know, and if they say I can't orgasm, you know, like make sure there's nothing. I learned this from Rachel Rubin, like there could be something medical. It's probably rare, right? But there could be a clitoral adhesion or something. But once you rule that out, like tell them, like you're not broken and just get a vibrator and some lube and recommend my book or another book. So I think opening the conversation and normalizing it would be fabulous. Awesome. Yeah, I actually have a, I have a front and back sheet for female sexual disorders, and it's got a whole bunch of books and podcasts and, you know, the, the right vibrator for your body if you're postmenopausal and a little bit smaller. Here's one that's non-threatening. Um, so it's just like an info sheet because it's so much for that, you know, it's so much because here you like, I haven't talked about an orgasm to anyone in my entire life, right? Right. So just yeah, I'd love to home. see that too. Um, Wendy's saying you'd love to see that info sheet. Yeah, totally. DM me. I can, I can email it to you. Um, well, thank you so much for chatting with me. Did, are any of the people on the call wanting to ask any questions? So the hardest thing is to ask a question and know you have the time to give them the response because it's not something you're going to ask in the middle of a short visit because it opens up the floodgate. So what I've done is I'll ask a question and then if I get a response that they are having some difficulty, I'll say, wow, this is really wonderful. And I've got really some wonderful suggestions. This is really something we can work on. This is, I want you to understand, this is not permanent. We can do this. I want another appointment because I want to make sure this is so important. We're going to give an appointment just to talk about this because it's so important. And that's what I've been trying to do. Fabulous, Wendy. I wish more doctors were like you all. Yeah. You know, um, to not ignore it, to not shame it, to say how important it is to give the time that's needed. So beautiful. I think the stereotypical, like if people are like, what do doctors say when sex comes up in the office? I think the stereotypical is have a glass of wine. Like that's like always comes back as a stereotypical thing that doctors say. And it's like, I like doctors, right? So like, I don't think it's totally an injury statement, but it's like wine relaxes you. It kind of, it makes you a little myopic. So you're not thinking about tomorrow or yesterday, but like usually a lack of alcohol is not the reason for your sexual problems. True. And especially that answer, I've heard that more with sexual pain than lack of orgasm. And that is just awful because so many times, as you all know, there is a medical issue, you know? Um, yeah, totally. It's amazing. Like you said, it's, uh, like I'll see 
women in their young 20s come in for pain and they don't use lube they just go straight to penis in the vagina so they haven't given any arousal time any blood flow to happen and you have to educate them like this is what the pelvis does with arousal and why it, that actually makes sex penetration more comfortable and they have no idea they're just like going in hurting themselves right have you seen too i'm curious about this like i've seen that a lot like it hurts well how much time do you do with arousal oh less than five minutes because that's what we see in porn right you know and no lube they think it's a shame or you know blah blah the other thing i have a f friend who's a physician who says she's seeing increasing anal inner injuries mm -hmm. in er's and in her practice for people imitating the anal sex they're seeing in porn like and that's even worse with no preparation right because the anus isn't supposed to stretch like that a vagina so i don't know are you all seeing any of that i i'm just i'm not seeing it but maybe i'm not asking i think it's a it's kind of like squirting it's like a new performance technique i think for a lot of people um i worry a lot about consent am i doing this for somebody else who thinks it's a good idea so that's what think what comes up for me when i think about that because there was a research paper on that <clears throat> and they were like the heterosexual men are way more interested than the heterosexual women are in being receptive for anal sex. And it's like, are, are a bunch of people doing things like, truly against their consent in, in one way or another? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that that conversation could, that conversation could happen more because I think a lot of women just feel pressure to be like, that's what he wants. Right. Instead of like, what do you want? Right. Exactly. Maybe that's something I'll make sure to talk to my frat boys about. Yeah, put that on your frat boy top ten. We'll get it yeah. on the on your YouTube top top ten with the urologist. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Does anybody else have any questions? Otherwise, we'll just hit, stop hitting record and we'll wrap it up. Well, not really a question, but um, Kelly, what you were saying, I've been doing a lot more of explaining basic anatomy and biology. So I explained to them that when if i'm talking about a uh, cis uh, heterosexual couple said it's a, uh, it's external you know when he's ready why do we think that we're ready because he is so our bodies work different so i have to say fine he's ready he can wait he can wait this is what you have to do and i explain what happens the vagina has to elongate it has to actually accommodate and if you just use lubricant and try to go through it that's not going to work you're not even ready yet so i go through the whole mechanics of it and they're like they've never heard of this and I explained that it takes as long as it takes, and he's okay, he can wait a bit. Yeah, <laughs> they, exactly. they assume that they have to be ready, and that's, I think, part of the older idea of, of consent, like you're saying, Lord, well, he's not forcing me, but I kind of think I'm supposed to. And that's what I'm seeing, where it's not, it, it, it's a form of, of not consent, because there's no communication. So they think, well, I'm supposed to, he's ready, I guess I'm ready, and they're not. Yeah, Sherry Winston, and I quoted her in the book, she's got a great line, just because he's hard and ready doesn't mean you have to let him in. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I love that you educate about that. That, that must be so life-altering for some of your patients to hear that. Like they're not ready instantly and at the same time as him. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Wendy, I think there's so much conversation on that. And it's that it's that long term relationship married. It's not not consent, but it's not sex that you want and you love. Right. It's like this. It's like almost I don't know. I'm creating like this gray zone in my head because you're not telling women like that it's rape. Right. But it's 
non-consensual. You're kind of just doing it so, so he doesn't get grumpy or because he mm -hmm. needs it or just to keep him happy. And I'm like, N I don't know of anybody who's having that conversation. Do you, do you know Wendy or Lori or anybody? I've tried having that conversation with them and that's exactly, you described it right, Kelly. It's, it's not rape, it's, but it's clearly not completely. I hear a lot of times, well, let him, let him just finish so he can fall over and go to sleep. You know, it's just easier than having a conversation. So they're not really into it. And of course, there's no foreplay. They're not really enjoying themselves. They're not getting their own natural lubricant because they're not really into it. And then of course, they're not enjoying sex. Well, why would you enjoy sex when you equate sex with a duty right. um, yeah. or an obligation? And then they all, they all come and think they're broken because they don't have any desire. Right. Right. If maybe if women, I, somebody said that, I don't remember who, if women were having better sex, maybe they'd have more desire for it. Yes. Yeah. And, that, and I talk about that as well. I said, it's really hard to enjoy sex when you're not really, you're not having an orgasm. You're not enjoying the whole mechanics of it. So the right. problem is not you're broken, is that we need to work around this. And so, yeah, and I'm having these conversations with people in their 60s and 70s and even older. And of course, they didn't even learn about how to have a conversation, but I'm also doing it with my younger people. Like you're saying, Glory, not all the young people know this. So I'm working with, you know, I have a conversation with adolescents and with, um, you know, people in their 20s and 30s. That's it's just fabulous. really amazing how much misinformation or non-information is out there. Right. It's so sad to me how little people know and how they operate on myths and then feel broken. Totally. I tell women, I, I, I don't think I made this up. I don't know where I got it from. I'm like, if it's not, not an eight, don't penetrate. And like with that, I hope they'll like maybe go in at a four or a six, which is certainly better than a two. But I'm like, they'll remember if it's not an eight, don't penetrate. Ooh, I like that. I might tell that to my fret boys next time I talk to them. <laughs> I love I it. I quote you. Thank you. <laughs> so, Lori, when are you going to talk to the sororities? Um, you know, I've done that before, and they're usually like, they already are, you know, on board. I've done it before, and I, I mean, uh, so I'm really going to concentrate on fraternities for a bit and see what comes out of that. Yeah. yeah. Pun intended. <laughs> what goes in what comes out whatever <laughs> what I, cannot, later? I cannot wait to follow you on this journey with the frat boys thank you and frat please men. send me that video and that connect me with that person i'd love that i will that'll be great you could you could even i'm even thinking like a youtube like top 10 things frat boys need to know yeah she's really totally on YouTube. We'll totally yeah awesome well we'll anybody else have anything to comment on otherwise we'll stop the, the recording well, it was such an honor and joy to connect with all of you. And thank you so much for all you do, too. Like, all of you, like, the world would be a better place if, if more physicians and therapists, like, I, I'm not just saying it's, I mean, there's a lot of therapists who don't know this or are afraid to talk about sex. It's like, you ask people about their deepest, darkest feelings, and you're afraid to talk about sex, like, Woo! You know, but I think if more of us were comfortable and trained, the world would be better. So I appreciate being in this conversation. Uh, thank you so much for being here.